But I want to tell you about a couple I used to know. Mama and Daddy King. Well, that sounds country, doesn't it? Mama and Daddy King. That was what I called, and, and my sister and I called this old couple in our church when I was young. And they kind of looked like, if you've ever seen American Gothic by Grant Wood, it's been parodied and plastered all over everything. It's one of the most recognizable, that painting is one of the most recognizable images in the world, even if you don't know what it is. He kind of looked like that. You know, you see the guy, he's, you know, he's got the glasses, a stern look on his face. Kind of, kind of balding, or a lot balding, actually. And Daddy King, he looked like that. Now, he didn't wear overalls, at least not when I knew him. He, he, but he did, man. He got up in the morning, he put on his slacks and his belt, tucked his shirt in. He combed the hair that he had, you know. It was not much, but he combed it, man. It was combed. And I know he went to a barber to get that cut. Because his neck was nice and, you know, trimmed up and shaved. You know, none of this scraggly stuff coming out. Now, he did have some eyebrows going on. And I, I understand this happens as you get older as a man. Uh, there are a few things uh, that don't stop growing. Your ears, you know, eyebrows, feet seem to get longer. Uh, and his eyebrows had actually grown to the point where they were sort of like two little awnings that provided shade, you know, for his eyes. He was proud of those. He didn't trim them, pluck them, nothing. They were there. I don't, he might have combed them, I don't know. But it, and now, a lot of people have speculated about American Gothic. Like, why does he look so serious and mean? Why does that lady look worried? But listen, that was a typical look for an old couple, especially out where in West Texas. And I, I can imagine that that's true of, of this region as well. People who worked hard all their life. And working hard is different from what we're thinking of working hard. I mean, I'm an art teacher. I'm like, phew, I've got to unpack this construction paper. Oh, man. <laughs> we're talking, you know, living through the Depression, just barely making ends meet. So when they took photos, they weren't smiling with a big, goofy smile. You always have two people looking pretty serious. My granny and... Granddaddy Austin were that way too. I saw a picture and I asked my mom, why do they look so serious? I mean, portraits. Go to, I mean, if you ever looked in your grandma or great-grandma's house, they always have a wall with pictures, right? Forget interior design. There's got to be a wall for all the family pictures with mix-matched frames and everything. And there's always a really old picture of a couple and they're not smiling. You notice that? Because the photographer doesn't say, say cheese. Because they're like, hey, i got to get back to work so we don't starve. Can you hurry up and take this picture? They had that look on their face. Now, over, over the years, they had gotten jollier and nicer. And, uh, and uh, Mama King, she always had a smile. You know, bubbly, bubbly. <laughs> and just bright flowers on her clothes and things. Coming through the door, opening the door. But he, he still had the serious look. And when he smiled, it was kind of like the... Mm, I don't know, like, like the hard, dry ground cracking open for a short time and then closing back up again. 
after that, that um, you know, grandma and grandpa laugh and sigh? They always sigh after they laugh, right? That's a sign of age. I did it the other day, and I was like, man, I'm getting older. It's where you laugh. <laughs> Whew. Or another word comes out that doesn't make sense, like Aswan or something like that. I don't know what that means. Another word for I swear, but you're not supposed to swear. So, And when I was a boy of eight or nine, I used to go with my dad, and we would mow this couple's lawn uh, as a service to them, uh, an elderly couple in our church. I want to go back and, and reread a little bit, uh, just verse 14 of, in chapter 2. Now, we're doing it the old-fashioned way. So the words aren't going to be up there. So that's just a decorative rectangle. Don't even look at that. We had, we had, a little, uh, we had some technical difficulty, and we do not have the words on the screen. Sorry. You'll have to look in your Bible or your uh, iPad or uh, only slightly smaller Galaxy or whatever. I'm an iPhone guy, so um, anyway, you'll have to do that. But just read along with me. I'll give you a second. Ruth two, fourteen. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, we do have Bibles out on the table, so it's okay if you run and get one. You can have it if you want it. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine." So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, I want to stop right there at mealtime. This could be a sermon. Just 14. Just, ver- just verse 14. It's not going to be. Don't worry. But it could be. At mealtime. One of the rhythms of our missional communities here at Legacy is mealtime. And it's on purpose. We do that on purpose, not an accident. We eat a meal when we get together. Uh, And we do it often. Sometimes it's just an impromptu get-together and and we eat together. Or Or it may be our planned gathering that we have once a week, but we eat together. We sit down and we eat together as part of a normal rhythm of our life. And think about it. God created us this way. He created us to have that rhythm. He could have made us so that at the beginning of the year, we eat one big meal. And then like, uh, you know, just like, a, like one of those big, what's those big snakes, that anaconda, is that how you say They just eat one big deer or something, and then they just sit there, and it metabolizes and digests and all that gross stuff, and then that's it for the year. You don't eat again. But that's not how God created us. In fact, he made us so that we had to eat three, four, five, six, however many times a day you eat. But you need to do it every day. Unless you're fasting, and that's why it's called fasting. Because you're taking a break from something you really need to do. And really like to do. Eating is fun. I mean, boy, I mean, especially being in in this part of the country, we make festivals out of it, don't we? Bacon festival, biscuit festival. Let's have, let's not just eat, let's have a party about eating. (laughs) And eat at the party. And then eat after the party. God has made us this way. But we don't do what 
you know, and it just separates us in, in, you know, obviously in one of the many, many ways from us from, you know, just the animal kingdom. We don't usually take our food. Now, I know some people who do this, but most of us don't take our food, run off into a corner and nibble it, right? We don't do that. We like to get together when we eat. It's something we like to do. We like to sit around and eat and look at each other and talk and joke and laugh. And that's why, we, and we're, so we're not going to deny that. We're actually going to use that as a, as a normal rhythm because it happens over and over again. It needs to continue. Of our missional communities, we do that. And we don't want to stop doing that. And there's a good book called A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester and uh, Steve Timmison. One of the, the, and it's based mostly out of the book of Luke, but one of the things they point out very well and elaborate on is that Jesus came eating and drinking. I mean, we read that in the Bible. Jesus came eating and drinking, and then he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he did a lot of eating and drinking. And that's why the accusation came. It wasn't for no reason. Now, Jesus didn't get drunk, and Jesus wasn't a glutton. But he did eat and drink, and he did it a lot. Eating is a missional activity. That's why he did it. Jesus, it's Jesus' mission anyway. And we call them missional communities, but they're not our mission. It's Jesus' mission. He came with a mission. His mission was he first was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically saying, and I am proof of that. I'm here. I am. And the beginning of the year of the Lord's favor. Here I am. God has given himself to you. And that's his mission. Well, we're on that same mission. That's, this, this hasn't changed. <clears throat> and of course, he proved that and worked it out and, and lived it out by going to the cross, dying completely dead and then being raised. So eating is a very missional activity simply because we're doing or walking as Jesus did. It's a lot more than that, though. Let's think about what eating does, though, that makes it so, um, such, a, such a great thing to do for missional communities um, and for families and just with our neighbors and things. It, it's eating with your neighbors who, like, you know, say you've got some neighbors who are not in Christ. They, you know, they're not believers. They don't know. They're, they're lost. They don't know. And they're your neighbors. Well, uh, eat with them. I mean, so what that does is it calls them in and includes them the way that Jesus actually did. And there's story after story after story of Jesus going in and eating with people. I remember Zacchaeus. He says, he actually tells him, I'm going to your house, which was, would have been a good thing. Zacchaeus would have seen that as a good thing. I'm going to your house to eat. I'm not just going to hang out here and talk to you. I'm going to go. I want to sit around and eat with you. It allows people to relax and talk on a different level. I mean... There's something about sitting around a meal that relaxes you. A lot of it's physical. It's just something that happens because we're human beings. And eating feels good. And we're sitting down and we're relaxing. And time kind of stands still when you're really enjoying a meal with someone. And so then when you get to the hard questions of life, you're a lot more likely to get to them at that point than in a cold or calculated or distant situation. But God will still call us to those hard situations, I know. But eating really breaks a lot of that down. It allows you to be hospitable. Inviting people in. 
to provide for them a need that God has given them. I mean, just it's just automatic hospitality. It allows you to uh, create a rapport with people. I mean, think about if you, uh, if you eat with someone at work, like what if you do it every day? Don't you kind of get a little rapport with them? Yeah, well, that's a, you may have no other point of contact with this person, but you eat lunch with them every day. You eat at their table. You may have, a, you know, your conversation may still be limited, but it's, you start to build a rapport you simply wouldn't have just by saying hi as you pass by. Or simply by working alongside them. If you, and so here's a good way to do that. When you're at work, uh, a good way to, to take this and be, and be missional with it is eat with someone who's not your best bud sometime. Because that's a way of saying, I, I'm reaching out to you. I'm, I'm asking for your acceptance as well. In a way I never had before, I want to sit down and eat with you. I want to take this, you know, relationship a little further. Let's eat together. I mean, it's that way when a, when a guy is interested in a girl, right? Man, it sounded so old. A guy is interested in a girl. A guy has his eye on a girl and he, he's thinking, I want her to be my wife. Um, I don't know her yet. What's a good way to do that? Take her to dinner. Eat with her. I mean, it's such a part of our culture. We're just like, well, yeah, duh. But I mean, it's a part of being human. And God's created us that way. And it sets the stage for your gospel proclamation. That's just simply, that's the word part, the proclamation of the gospel. And, that's, and we're called to do that. But it sets the stage for that. It doesn't just make it easier to, to do because you create a rapport and it's relaxing and it feels good. But it's because eating is essential. It's essential to understanding the gospel. Food, you must understand eating and food to understand the gospel. So that's why it sets the stage. It makes it you're actually participating in it by doing it. And I want to read a couple of scriptures just to, to kind of point that out and show it, show it to you. And if you want to turn there, that's fine. But I'm going to read them. I'm sorry they're not up there. Isaiah 25, 6. And I just picked out a couple of good ones. They're all over, I mean, from one end of the Bible to the other. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. All peoples. That's a real important part. All peoples. Now, I know God was calling to himself a people, a distinct people to show the world what God was like and eventually to bless the world. And that was, that was Israel. But this is all peoples. And it means all peoples. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. So this is Isaiah. So this is, a, this is actually a, 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 a gospel being proclaimed before Jesus even walked the earth back in Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, uh, in John chapter 6, verse 56, we read of that really hard teaching that Jesus, uh, he taught. And I remember 
it, it says, you know, pe- people said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? He said, Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, see there's the sentness, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, this is, this is Jesus proclaiming the gospel through food. He's saying God has given your, uh, himself to you through me and you got to eat me. I understand why it was a hard teaching. Now we've heard, you know, we've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. So we're like, well, yeah, it doesn't really mean that literally. But I mean, the early church, they were even accused of cannibalism because of this teaching. Of course, it was misunderstood. When you eat together, it's directly pointing to the cross. It is a gospel activity to eat. That's why Jesus chooses his last meal or his last meeting with his disciples to be a meal. And that's what we call the Last Supper. And that's when he institutes a meal that we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Another meal. Have you ever known an elderly couple uh, or, or a person who's, uh, you know, you've gone to see them, like you go to visit them, and they're like the picture of personality. You realize there's a lot lost in, in, through generations because it hasn't really been perpetuated. But an old couple, old-fashioned couple, go to their house, and, and so often they're, they're so hospitable. They always have a garden with way too much squash, and they want to give it to you. And they want to give you their tomatoes. I used to mow this lady's lawn who had peach trees. I never mowed her lawn without leaving with three sacks of peaches. I couldn't eat them all, but I mean, you know, she wanted to give them to me. I always had a glass of tea with her. There was another old guy who used to mow his lawn. And right when I was done mowing, the garage door would open. It was amazing. I don't know how he knew it. He'd be sitting in a chair in the middle of the garage at a little table with a Dr. Pepper and a piece of pie his mom, his, mom, his wife made. He called her mama. <laughs> hey, mama, make some pie. Long guy's coming. There, a little piece of pie. And he just, he sat there. Of course, he had the, his legs crossed, you know. He's all dressed up. He's not wearing flip-flops and stuff. I mean, you know, he's old-fashioned. And I go in and I eat... I eat the pie. I can't leave until I eat that pie and drink that Dr. Pepper. And I was young and, and I didn't appreciate it at first. But, but that was hospitality. Just a picture of hospitality. They never let you come in unless they give you a glass of iced tea. They always make pies and cakes. They always. There's always a cake or a pie. Just hospitable. Mom and Daddy King had a garden and they actually grew watermelon. And I, I mean, I ate more watermelon that couple of years than I probably ever have or ever did before that. Just always eating in their house, always in their living room, sitting, drinking a glass of, of sweet tea. 
And they would open the door that way. I mean, just, just as soon as I was done mowing that lawn. And, you know, I was a young kid. Well, they would open the door. Come on in. Come on, kid, in here. Sit down. And they're giving you stuff. And they're preparing things. Just making you feel welcome. They ne- you, I never felt like it was time to go. You have to tear yourself away. And time, it's like there is no time. It stands still. Now, there's a hustle and bustle out there in the world, but not, not during those moments. In those moments, time is just, just stand still. And there's conversation, and you're talking, and you're eating, and you're drinking. So I want to continue a little bit further. Ruth, now I want to, I, I do kind of, if you can, I want you to read along with this one. Uh, this is Ruth. Chapter 2, verse 15. Okay. Uh, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Now, when I used to go and mow this lawn, I was a little boy, so I didn't really, I wasn't really in charge. Now, this is back in the old days, there was no, back in the old days, gosh, not that old, but anyway, it, it, was, a, it was a push mower, like, and by that, that I mean you actually had to push it. It didn't pull itself. And, there, you know, the lawnmower, it had two, it has the, the handle comes up, you know, that you push handle, but then there's like a bar for support in the middle. Well, I was not tall enough to push the top one. So I was like, I had to get inside the, the little handle and push the little more, the, the little handle, you know. And my dad let me do that. He, that's how he taught me to do it, you know. And I'm, now that I'm a parent, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, that's how I did it. And my dad, it was my job to mow the lawn. Now, yeah, he was there. He was overseeing it because their lawn was perfect. I mean, no weeds, you know. And it was thick and it was green. And you really had to push hard. And it had one of those side bags instead of in the back. You ever seen those stick out on the side? And I had to, it, we always had to bag the grass and dump it in trash cans and everything. It just took a long, long time. And I... I my dad, now looking back, see, I thought I was really doing it, man. Well, I'm mowing this lawn. Looking back, I, I think about how, what my dad was doing. You know, he didn't have to have me come along and mow that lawn. It would have been a lot easier had he done it himself. I mean, he was serving this old couple in the church. Why, why couldn't he just go do it himself? Why did he drag me along? Why did he make it? teach me how to push the mower? Why did he uh, tell me where to go? And, and why did he, you know, come along behind me and kind of clean up my mess a little bit and go over things that I missed? See, I didn't realize he was even doing that until I looked back and I, and I can see that. But he allowed me to work. Now, Boaz, he, uh, I know that he was introduced last week. Spencer introduced Boaz as, as a character in this story. Boaz, uh, had, we hadn't met him yet. Uh, in the beginning, the first week when we opened Ruth. But now we have Boaz. And here he is, and this is his field. Or a field that he's in charge of. 
and he is, uh, and they're doing harvest, and he's instructing his young men, saying, let her glean. Um, and that, that just, that was something that, that uh, Israelites, it was customary to do. It was a law to do that. It was to allow people to glean what was left over, what had fallen, uh, and not to, uh, to keep from them from doing that. It was a way to serve the poor and the needy. And so that was customary. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's allowing her to glean. But he goes a little further than that. <clears throat> he says, let her glean even among the sheaves. So he's not just on the corners like, like uh, we're told uh, in, uh, where are we told that? Yeah, Leviticus 23. They're told, leave the corners. Don't, don't harvest all the way out through the corners. Let people glean. But he says he, he, he instructs them to let her go even further and get more. And do not reproach her. Treat her well. And also pull out some from the bundles. Even, even more. This is not customary, by the way. From the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So if you, if you read this, it can be real tempting to think, Boaz, all he's doing is fulfilling his obligation in the law and he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's letting her glean. But that's not, that's not what's going on. He's doing a lot more than that. This is a picture of grace. Grace is God's favor. And it's his favor you didn't earn. That's what this is a picture of. What had Ruth done? What did she really do to earn that? Well, she didn't do anything to earn that. I mean, her husband died and her sons died. And so she came back to Bethlehem uh, hearing that God had blessed his people again. And she's done nothing whatsoever to earn any kindness or favor from this man. And yet he blesses her and shows favor to her. Now, of course, he might have just thought, well, I like her and I don't want to marry her. So I'm going to be really, really nice to her. Which may explain why he asked her to eat with him. I mean, that's how it starts out, right? At mealtime. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to allow that. That was for his workmen. But he did. To sit at, their t- at his table and eat. So my dad took me along to Mo da- Mom and Daddy King's yard. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my idea. But man, I learned so much by that. I learned how to serve. Take your kids to serve with you. If you, those of you who have kids, take your kids with you to do things. Uh, it's so tempting. I'm tempted to do this all the time. It's easier to do it myself. Why take the kids? Oh, when you're a parent, you'll understand. <laughs> it's so much easier. That's why when I was a, a kid and I made a mess, I used to do it wrong on purpose. So that my mom would be like, just get out of the way and let me do it. I would, you know, I'd be like cleaning it with my foot, with a towel under it. Get out of the way, I'll clean it myself. She wasn't mean or anything, but you know, you get frustrated. And I could imagine my dad getting frustrated. I was a little kid trying to mow the yard. He took me with him. Take your kids. I'm really thankful for that. Take your kids with you. 
Take them to work. Take them to serve. That's how they learn. They're not going to learn by you telling them as much as they're going to learn by how it feels to do it. Man, it felt good to serve that couple. It also felt good to eat their watermelon. And all the other stuff, pie and everything else. I did. It was awesome. The whole experience was beautiful. And uh, in our missional communities, this is something that, that uh, I know, and Jen, I'm sorry to call your name out. Uh, I don't know if she's in here. Oh, there's, yeah, okay. I didn't ask her permission to say her name. Sorry, Jen. Said it again. Okay. But we're sitting around in our missional community and we're, we're talking about, uh, we're discussing, well, how, what, what's our rhythm of blessing going to be? Because in our missional communities, we have a rhythm of blessing those who are outside of our community, as well as uh, us who are in it. And um, we're talking about, well, what's it going to be? How do we do this? And we're just brainstorming. And you know, getting ideas thrown out there. And Jen said a really good thing, and I wanted to, I wanted to repeat it uh, today because it really made me think of this time and, and Ruth and Boaz and all of that. Um, and, and what she said, in effect, is, I, I don't want to serve by just throwing stuff at people, you know, just so that it makes me feel better. Uh, well, for example, she gave an example of, of a, a housing place she used to work and, and there was a, some kind of charity or, good, you know, very well-intended thing where people would give cans of food. And, um, and what she's saying is, the thing is, these people didn't need cans of food. Their, their cabinets were full of cans. They actually needed other things. They needed uh, people to watch their kids. Or they needed, uh, you know, I don't know, other things. And, and so what she was saying is, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just throw stuff at people. I want to do something that people actually really need and to be involved further than just the handing of things to people. Now, there are times when we do give to people and, and we're not ever going to see a relationship in return. We're not ever going to see anything, at least not at that point. That's, that, that's going to happen, okay? But, that, but that, we don't want to do that just for the sake of doing it and making ourselves feel better. What I uh, needed was not... Now, I got paid for that little lawn mowing deal. My, of course, my dad and, and, and the, uh, Daddy King would always go through the polite game. That's what, that's what Matt Norman calls it, the polite game. You win. No, no, no. I, he doesn't need to be paid for it. That would be my dad's thing. No, no. I, I insist he's pulling out. Just give him here $7, you know, whatever, which was like a fortune to me. Here you go. No, no, I, I insist. You know, eventually, of course, Daddy King would win out and I would get the money. My dad would give it to me. Uh, and, you know, really, the money was something, but it wasn't the thing I needed. The thing I needed was what my dad was doing and what Daddy King was allowing me to do on his yard. That's actually what I needed. Now, Boaz is allowing Ruth to continue to work. That doesn't, sound, that doesn't seem like a real nice thing, I guess. I mean, why didn't he just give her the bundles and then send her home without her working? You ever wondered that? I mean, that would have been nicer, right? I mean, you're thinking, I might marry this girl. So I'm not going to make her work. I'm just going to send her on home and just give her the stuff. That, you know, give her the grain or whatever. The ephahs of grain. Send her on. 
He didn't do that. I want to read Ephesians 2, um, 8 through 10. If you want to read with me, that's fine. It's not going to be up there, but you don't have to turn. I'll read it out loud. Ephesians 2, chapter 8. And I'm going to read another one in Ephesians after that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when I, when I was, you know, doing my little lawn mowing and serving, I was actually doing, if you think about it, I was doing a good work that I didn't come up with. It wasn't my idea. I mean, my dad had it all planned out. Uh, it, all right, we're going to go serve mom and daddy. King. We're going to mow the lawn. I'm going to take Kevin with me. I'm going to teach him how to mow the yard. I mean, it was all set up for me. Now, uh, before I continue, let's look at this Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 11. You want to see that? And there's a reason why I went backwards. But uh, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There is something at work in the story of Ruth that is really important that we don't miss. It's grace, but it's also the providence of God. Now, providence, that's, I, that actually, in my um, upbringing, wasn't a word that I heard very much. So when I learned it later, it was kind of a new, new thing to me. This idea that, that, there, that God is orchestrating everything for his purpose. And you can't, you don't see it. It's his, it's his invisible hand working. And he's making things happen. He's lining things up and he's orchestrating things. It says, according to the counsel of his will. So he has a will. His will will be accomplished. And he's going to orchestrate it so that it does. And that's kind of what was happening to me. But let's think about Ruth. Look at everything that's happening to Ruth. Look at how, uh, I mean, Boaz comes out of nowhere. Here he is. I mean, she went back and, and, and you learned that she said last, I think it was last time you learned that that she said that I, I might, or maybe it's next week, I might find favor, yeah, it was last week, find favor with this, this man. I want to find favor with him, is kind of what she was thinking. But, I mean, all of this stuff happened. First there was a famine, then she moved away. Could, she, could, could Ruth have ever written that story for herself? This is how my life is going to go. Think about your own life. And then kind of think backwards and the story of it and the uh, events and what order they're in. Did you ever think that's how it was going to turn out? There might be someone in here who's like, yeah, everything's turned out exactly as I thought it would. But most of us, I mean, really, 
Think about that. Maybe it's an even deeper question. Has anything turned out the way you thought it would? I don't think it does. And even for legacy, this is a, this is a, a we find this to be true. Things have not turned out exactly the way we sort of envisioned and had, had imagined that, that they would. Oh, they're, they're greater. There's so much more depth than we thought, than we imagined. And things are, God is doing things in such a different way than we imagined. But, well, that's not, uh, that's not us. Yeah, we make mistakes and we, and we do things wrong. And that's part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in. But God says he works all things out for our good, for those who love him, according to his will. That, that's what this is about. It's providence. God knew all of this was going to happen. God um, knew the famine was going to happen, knew that Elimelech was going to move his family over here to Moab, knew that they would die, and knew that Ruth was going to come back. He orchestrated Boaz, he orchestrated her into his field, he orchestrated everything to happen according to his will. And his will eventually points to Jesus, we find, because uh, Ruth is mentioned even in his lineage. So that's amazing to me. Grace and providence. Isn't it freeing to know that? That God has a will and that he has, just like when I was a kid, it was all worked out by my dad. I didn't have to think about how he had it all planned out for me. He he allowed me to work in it. And, And God's got everything in control. That's actually part of the gospel. There's the gospel in Ruth and another, I mean, there are multiple places where you can point to this. That's the gospel in Ruth. But one of them is God is in complete control. And when we have a hard time believing that, then we have a hard time believing an important part of the gospel. How do we know God's in control? Because he proved it ultimately by raising his son from the dead. So when someone's dead and then you make them come to life again, that's control. You can say you're in control then. So God's in control. And that's a really important part of the gospel. That's why providence is a really important uh, doctrine. It's an important one. It's not just kind of, oh yeah, providence, that's neat. No, that's, that's everything. God's writing the story. He's bringing it to pass. And Boaz does a lot more than he has to, to bless Ruth. And a lot of times we, want, we, really, want to, we really want to think that we're, we're kind of like Boaz. Yeah, I remember I did that nice thing to that person. I was kind of like Boaz. I was their redeemer. And I'm going to let Luke deal with the redeemer part. That's, that's a difficult thing. I'll let, I'll let Luke do that next week. I'll leave that for him. But it does mention it in our text today that he's one of Ruth's redeemers. So he'll explain that next week. But he's obviously a, a picture of Jesus in Ruth. Okay, so there's another point, uh, way to point to the gospel. That's why it's kind of, it's not a very safe thing for us to identify with his character as much and say, yeah, I'm like Boaz. <laughs> you know? Well, 
But, but how many times have you only done what you had to do? I mean, that's, what, that's, that's really kind of the definition of a legalist, if you think about it. It's a person who only does what they have to do. That's why they always want to know exactly what I have to do. So that I can know when I'm done doing it. So I don't have to do anything else. That's not what Boaz does. He's like, let her glean and then get more out of the bundles. And then let her take from the sheaves. And then he sends stuff home to her mom. Which is a good idea um, if you're not married. Or even if you are. You might want to send some ephahs of grain to your mom. Okay, you know, maybe not that, but to your mother-in-law. I'm really blessed because my mother-in-law likes me. Uh, and I know I, I didn't really deserve it. But, <laughs> man, it's a, it's a really wonderful thing to have your mother-in-law like you. And if your mother-in-law doesn't like you, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I'm not making fun. I mean, it's rough. Pray. Bless her however you can. That's kind of what Boaz is doing. He doesn't just bless Ruth. He blesses Naomi. He sends that food home. Naomi is just as much in need as Ruth is. He goes way beyond what he needs to do. He's not just fulfilling the law. He is motivated by much more than checking off the boxes. I did that. And that's why Naomi says in verse 20 in Ruth, that's why she says to, and Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So she recognizes this is kindness. And then Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. People are going to know whether or not you're motivated by law or by grace. Have you ever had someone serve you and you just know they're doing it because they have to? And you feel that sometimes. I know that when you go to a fast food restaurant, it's pretty common, right? Thank you. Have a nice day. Come back again. Would you like to try our three-piece, blah, blah, blah? No one ever tries that. Have you ever, has anyone ever said, yes, I would like to try your new three-piece combo? You're always like, no, I want something else. But I mean, they, you kind of get the feeling that they have to do that. Or have you ever gone and then even though it was their job, they, you've been served by someone and they went way beyond to make you feel welcome and you knew they meant it. Can, can you think of a time when, when that's happened? Or when your neighbors, you're new in the neighborhood and they bring you a bag of tomatoes and you really get the feeling that they're not just doing it just because that's the southern rule of hospitality that you just have to do this. You have to give your neighbors a bag of tomatoes or squash when they move in the neighborhood. Here you go. I hope you're good neighbors, you know. But, they, but you get the feeling, I think that they really are welcoming us. It's all over someone's face. It's on their countenance. The Bible says that what's in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. It's going to show on our face. Just try to hide it. You won't be able to. And if you serve somebody, in our missional communities, we do not want to do that. If you serve someone out of obligation, 
If they sense that, then they're not, not only are they going to be put off, but they're not going to see the gospel clearly because that, the gospel isn't, that isn't the gospel. Because even when Jesus was dying on the cross and had the right to say, I don't forgive you. He didn't do that. He said, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you know that law, that's not law because what's the law? Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Anybody ever heard that? You ever gotten a ticket and you're like, I got a ticket once for not wearing sunglasses or eye protection when I lived in Arizona. I said, I didn't know that was a law. They're like, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Here's your ticket. It was my first day there. (laughs) Welcome to Arizona. And I I thought, well, I never thought about that. But Jesus doesn't use that. Uh, He doesn't go by law. That's why he says they don't know what they're doing and forgive them. Okay, the worship team, y'all can come on up. I have no suave ending whatsoever to this. Except that I just want to encourage you. Um, One of the things we believe here at Legacy, we believe it because it's true, is that evangelism happens and the preaching of the gospel happens uh, to those who don't know it, but it also happens to those who, who do. That's why Paul continues saying to a, a whole church who already heard the gospel. He says, I long to be there so I can preach the gospel to you again. So I want to encourage you in it again. God's in control. So think about your life and think about your mess and the thing that you have lost control of. Good. That can be, that it is a very freeing place to be. God's working things exactly how he wants them. That's rest. At one point in Ruth, Naomi says to Orpah and Ruth, go back and find rest. May you have rest with your husband. And what is Ruth searching for? Rest. Rest in, in, in provision and in relationship with a husband and in being blessed with children. Rest or grandchildren. Rest. So rest. God's in control. He proved it. And then enjoy work because you don't have to do it. Isn't work a lot more fun when you don't have to do it? What do you mean I don't have to do it? Well, the reason I say that is because you you actually can't earn anything by doing it. So don't work for your grace. Work because of your grace. 